Hey everybody, and welcome back to the Big Ginger Outdoors podcast. As always, I'm your host, Trent. With me today, Johnny, as always. And today with us, Cameron Cushman, fly fisherman, archer, army veteran, filmmaker extraordinaire. How are you guys doing today? Good, good. Living the dream, living the dream. Very nice. Now, I know we've been trying to make this whole episode come together for a little bit, a little while now, and... Uh, you know, I think uh, a good way to start it out is uh, let's get a little bit of background info on you, Cameron. What can you tell us? For sure, yeah. Yeah, you know, I definitely want to say it probably seems like I was like trying, I was blowing you guys off. And so totally not on purpose. COVID ran through the house for the second time. And uh, and so, yeah, so if y'all hear me like choking on myself during this podcast, doing that, <laughs> but over it now, just a lingering cough, so... Yeah, a little bit about myself. Um, man, where to begin? Always been an outdoorsman. Um, and then, uh, you know, joined the military, spent six years in the infantry in 11 Charlie. Um, that time was spent in Alaska, primarily four years there, technically three if you want to count the 12 months in Afghanistan. Um, and then I PCS the hood where I medically retired out of there. Um, kind of looking back at Alaska, it, it hurts my soul. Cause everyone's like, Oh, you must have hunted in Alaska. And I was like, no, I didn't fascinated by it. When I was there, I was always like, man, I need to pick up a bow. Like I, everyone around me is like, you know, a bow hunter. And I was like, I need to do that. But I was like, I'm afraid. And so I never did. And like looking back, I'm like, what a moron. Like you can archery hunt for moose on, on post in at Wainwright. Like what was I doing? You know? And <laughs> Anyways, I, I learned how to fly fish there, and so I, I got to at least do that. And since then, I've been back to Alaska um, to, you know, fly fish for um, steelhead and stuff like that. But, yeah, outside of that, um, I'm the chief marketing officer for the Iron Freedom Foundation. So we're a 501c3 nonprofit that brings combat vets um, and first responders into the outdoors. And um, something I'm super passionate about, I kind of found my healing power from, you know, the stuff that I've dealt with and, and continue to deal with, with my, you know, physical and mental health and the outdoors are, is where I found, you know, my medicine and where I continue to find my medicine. Um, and so, yeah, super, super passionate that, that I was and grateful that I was able to find this organization and I've been involved with them since the second trip. So going pretty strong on about three years now with that organization. And, um, you know, outside of that last year, I finally did pick up a bow. I got into hunting last year and I was like, I need to do this archery. I don't, I don't want to pick up a rifle. I respect it. But like as a fly fisherman and specifically like as a, a guy that mostly fishes with glass rods, which is like this classic timeless kind of art. I was like, I need to pick up a bow. And of course I picked up like a trad bow first. And I was like, I am not comfortable killing an animal like this. Cause I'm <laughs> like one day I'm dead on the next day. I'm like hitting the neighbor's house, you know? And so ended up getting, you know, a compound and um yeah that that's kind of got started there was able to fill two tags last year um and you know always trying to chase the next outdoor adventure whether it's fly fishing archery turkey hunting i, ha I haven't managed to get a, a a tom yet uh i was so close last year and this year um i was traveling a lot for work so only went out a few times and but yeah man super stoked to be on the podcast and get a chance to share some stories chat with y'all oh yeah we're That's real awesome. happy to have you on here um you know not every day that we get somebody on with uh quite the pedigree that you've got going on and the involvement that you have um you know you'd you'd mentioned that you'd always kind of been an outdoorsman um what sort of got you involved and you know who kind of helped you out along the way yeah for sure and so um Growing up as a kid, my dad, it was like really adamant that we would, and it's really funny thinking back on this, like super adamant that we went fishing, um, you know, every weekend. And so only saw my dad on the weekends and I think like Wednesday nights or something like that. Typical, you know, custody agreements with divorced parents. But we went fishing, um, you know, every single weekend for bass. And this was up in, we were living in New England. And so did a lot of stuff like small mouth, large mouth. And at the time, you know, like strictly like, bobber and shiner fishing um you know i feel like that's like how so many people kind of get started that and bluegill and stuff like that but yeah i mean just fell in love with it and um you know eventually started doing 
you know, like was doing like a lot of tournaments from shore and stuff like that. And never got too big into like the bass boat tournament realm or anything like that. But um, eventually jumped into like the kayak kayaking world and did some kayak tournaments in Texas here and there. Um, held, I held a few tournaments um, and then, you know, worked with a bunch of companies in that industry and still do to this date with the nonprofit. But yeah, definitely my dad. My dad got me got me started and then my love for the outdoors has just continued to grow and hopefully I can pass that along to my four kids. Yeah, that That's is awesome. that is absolutely awesome. And it always makes me feel good hearing people say that, you know, they started out at a young age, you know, had had a figure to kind of guide them along the way and everything. And I think that's really special about uh, the outdoors community in, in general. I mean, you've got people from all different walks of life, all different kinds of stories. And, you know, every single person is going to have some kind of story and some kind of person who's helped them along the way and something that they'll remember and kind of, kind of carry with them. No. Yeah. Without a doubt, for sure. So you kind of told us already how you got into fly fishing. So what what was your like real big push into getting into archery? I know you're saying like everybody's like, oh, you should get into it in Alaska and stuff. But what was like that finally like, all right, I need to get into archery? Yeah, for sure. So I'm, we moved out to um, Missouri from Florida about two, almost two years ago now. And um, I moved out here for work. Uh, in the outdoor space, I'm no longer with that company, but um, that company owns 20 companies in the outdoor space. And, you know, everybody there is a hunter and uh, Missouri season is super long for archery. And so season September 15th to through January. Um, And so a really, really long archery season. Um, I believe in the majority of the state is unlimited doe tags. And so, and they're like $7 per tag. And so, you know, if you're trying to like harvest food and like for out of state resident, it's super cheap too. So if you're trying to like put food on the table, this is definitely the state to do it. Um, and, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And so we had an archery range kind of on the, the grounds of that, uh, of our building. And I kind of sat out there and watched a lot of the guys do it and I was shooting content of it. Um, and finally it was like, you know what, let me do it. And we had industry pricing with a few, a few brands. And so I picked up my first bow, um, and uh, I think this is like about a year later, you know, so this is last year I picked up my bow in, I believe, July or so and, um, caught, you know, figured it out on target. And I, w- I really wanted to, like, learn the environment, like, when I was going into it. So, like, I think I, my first time hunting, I had a work trip, so I, it was, like, September 22nd or something. It was, like, my first day out and. I remember walking and I was doing it all on the ground. So really like, you know, almost Western style, which isn't a thing out here. You know, like most people are in tree stands and in blinds and I'm like on the ground for like three months. Um, and which is no luck, you know, I'm like seeing deer, but I just can't get close to them and I'm playing the wind. And, but I like, I became so obsessed so quickly that like, no lie, I could probably say that I spent more time out on public land last year than most like people in my office have spent in the woods their whole life who are like hardcore (laughs) hunters, you know, like I was so dedicated and so stupid that I would go every day before work I'd get there. I I go to public, uh, you know, this is probably, I'd say this is like up until October I was on the ground. And so kind of we had longer days still so after work i'd like rush out there and just go walk around and try to find sign and stuff and never was able to get it done and um i had one situation where i i had a doe in front of me at like eight yards and there was like another doe to my right and i like drew on her and i must have just had like target panic and just like i watched that arrow go like clean three feet over her and i was like what the (laughs) hell just happened you know and um Anyways, like I finally bought a tree, you know, a tree stand um, and I got, you know, like one that I could carry in every, <coughs> there it is, the COVID. one that I could carry in <laughs> the COVID one that I could carry in every time. And uh, dude, I kid you not like the, 
I went and set up one day. It was miserable, like blowing 30. Like I was nauseated. I felt like I was fishing offshore, you know, and uh, which offshore fishing is is fun until you film it. I produced a TV show for the Outdoor Channel. We're, we're, we're sidebar in here, but like when I was in that tree blowing around, I was like, this reminds me of filming in a boat and I don't like this. Like filming way <laughs> offshore of the Gulf Stream is not fun because you're looking at a monitor as you're in like five foot seas. But anyways... <sighs> So I get, I get out of the tree stand. I was like, I'm sticking to the ground. And I remember walking that night, and I stalked this buck. And um, the next morning, I was like, I know where he's going to be. I'm going to go back with the tree stand. And this is like October 27th or some, sometime late last October. And went out there, and it sure shit. He walked by at like 9 o'clock, and... Uh, I believe it was 43 yards was where, where I took him and he went 60 yards was down and man, what an emotional, like it's so hard to explain like that feeling. And I think I was like two miles back into public and called my wife and I was like, she's like, I can't hear you. What are you saying? And I'm like, "Ah, ah, ah," you know, like sitting there (laughs) stuttering, like nothing is making sense. And so she comes hauling ass. She's like, I'm like, meet me out here. She, she hauls ass out. I meet her at the truck. I get the cart. We, we walk it back. She helps me. Like, mind you, I've never feel dressed an animal. Like, I'm, she's holding my phone while YouTube is going, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm watching different videos. I'm like, it's so fast. Hold on. I'm like, pause it, you know? Because my hands are, like, covered in blood. And But ended up doing it, you know? And, I, I mean, I was so hooked. Like, so hooked and Literally after that, up until the very last day of season, I would go before work because after work it was it was dark. But be, I'd go before work, get out to the woods at like four forty in the morning, walk a mile in, hang the stand, and sit there until seven like eighteen. So literally, I had less than like twenty five minutes of light, and I did it every day. I was like averaging, I think, like twenty six miles a week worth of walking with that that stand. And I finally, the very last day, it, I've got this like two really weird like bucket list things to do in my life it's fly fish in like a, a heavy like blizzard like conditions and then hunt <laughs> in the same and the last day of archery season just dumped and, and i've never seen so much deer activity deer running around i'm chasing this buck i've nicknamed the christmas buck it's public land in, in like a city area this dude's he's rubbing on like massive massive trees not like really high up so like i mean he's a big big deer you know and um like realistically probably all day over over 160 like uh, i mean if not bigger than that like uh, uh he was a big a big whitetail you know and um like compared to the first one my very first buck which was probably like under 120 you know but like a nice one just i w- i wanted to hunt just to provide food for the table you know and so the fact that my first deer was a buck i was super stoked for but um last day i'm out there and uh, it's like blizzarding, and I, I I'm just like so stoked, like heavy snowfall, and this what I think is a doe comes out right in front of me at like 16 yards, and I I real I didn't want to I had a doe tag still, and I I wanted to get more food for the table, and so draw back on her, um, and right as I let the arrow fly, he turns his head, and he was the tiniest oh, spike. No. And so (laughs) fortunately in this, in the state of Missouri, it it still was a legal animal, like for my doe tag, because the one side was, it was under the four inches, but like, I didn't want to do that, you know? And, and he, (laughs) he heard the shot too. And so he jumped and I, and I'm like, I, and he jumped so fast. I mean, it was perfect broadside jumped completely away from me. The arrow went right in his rear. And I was like, I, I'm never going to find this. My last day of the season, I've just wounded this animal. He's going to die a miserable death. And so part of me was like, you know, they tell you like, hey, wait, come back the next day to try to find him. I was like, I can't do that. I need to go put this thing out of his misery. I can because if I can't, the snow's going away or the snow's going to cover the blood trail that exists, you know? And so there's no blood. And like, I'm just following his, his tracks. And then I get to a spot and his tracks disappear and I was like, I fell to my knees and I was like, what, what did I do? Was this my fault? Why did he jump the line? And I look up and there's a, a pine that's like sitting really low to the ground. And I see the slightest movement that bent down and there he is. And I just watched his last breath. I'd hit his artery. And so he died right away and it was like 65 yards. So 
not an ideal situation, but fortunately it did hit that artery in the rear. Um, but I was, I still wasn't happy about it. And anyways, I'm, I'm field dressing it and, uh, it's like freezing cold. I pull out this new knife I have. that's in like a Kydex holster and it's like one of those, um, like scalpel knives. Um, mm-hmm. and I pull it out and it, my hand slips and just clean cut like right through my finger Blood's gushing everywhere. And, and so I call my buddy. I was like, all my buddies are in the, in the woods hunting. And so no one could help me. And so I call a guy who's never hunted, never field dressed a deer, the only guy that answers. He comes out and field dresses my deer. And he's never hunted a day in his life. And I'm like walking him through it. And he got, he like, it, it was, there was like guts everywhere, you know. And um, I ended up going to the VA and had to get like, I think five or six stitches in the finger. But that, that was my... That was my archery season. <laughs> that's a that's a crazy first season. A hell of a way to start it out. Yeah. For sure, for sure. My, I, I but I learned so much exactly. going out there every day. That's that's how it was for, for sure. me with with pronghorn. Is I in Colorado? There's not a lot of over the counter tags, but a majority of the over the counter tags they have are archery. So never never getting into archery at all. I was like. Yeah, I'll get a bow and learn how to shoot it, and I'm gonna go hunting with it. And I just, I fell in love. I, I didn't get anything, but like, I just straight fell in love. It was, I was out there every single day that I could, like, just getting after it. And it, I, I totally understand what you're talking about. And this year is gonna be my year. <laughs> Heck yeah! I did get a turkey. Yeah, did I did get a turkey this year. So you got that going that. for you. Yeah. <laughs> And that is that is absolutely awesome. And I think that's one of my favorite parts about being in the outdoors is you're always learning something new, regardless of how long you've been doing it. And um, even even people who've been out there for years and years and years, they're still finding out new tricks. Um, it's something that really suits me well because I'm, you know, kind of a kind of a jack of all trades when it comes to things. And I pick something up, I get really gung ho about it. And then I kind of move on to the next thing. And I think hunting and fishing has been one of those hobbies where I haven't uh, gotten bored with it just because there's so much. And it's always changing too. Oh, a hundred percent. Now, uh, when uh when when we were kind of going over your bio and everything you had talked about the Iron Freedom Foundation um would you mind going a little bit more in depth with that and just kind of letting us know um some specifics about it and kind of how you got involved with the whole project yeah for sure <clears throat> so it's kind of funny and i feel like a lot of veterans who you know may listen to this will relate to this but when i got out of the military uh, you know, I medically retired and a- anybody who is transitioning out of the military, it's like, you c- I don't care how stellar, how amazing you were. If you're getting out and it's not your retirement, like where you are, 20 year retirement, if you're just getting out because you want to pursue another career, you're getting out because of medical reasons that are con- to- totally out of your control. You're just as you're like a dirt bag to 90 percent of the unit, you know. And so yep. <laughs> when I <laughs> wait, Johnny knows. And so when I get out, you know, I'm. And mind you, like a lot of my issues are like extremely rare, like not a lot of cases. And so like, I'm like dealing, like dealing with the VA and they're like, oh, you mean this? And I was like, no, I wish that was what I had, you know, that would make my life a lot easier. And so just like being treated like dirt from the VA, knowing that this, these are the ones that are going to take care of me for the rest of my life. And, you know, at the time, like all my doctors like, hey, listen, you're never going to be able to work again. You're you're never going to be able to go outside again. You're never going to be able to do the things you love. You're you need to be on a hospital bed with a feeding tube with, uh, you know, permanent TPM hookups. And I'm just sitting there like you're you're no, dude, no, I'd rather die in a year be under a tree and show my kids that I didn't let this disease, you know, control my life. Um, and so anyways, when I transition out. I, I, I truly think that if somebody would have asked me like what I did for the past six years, I probably would have been like, I, yeah, I was in prison because I, I <laughs> just didn't want to talk about the military. Like I, I wanted to distance myself from anything military related. Like I could have met a veteran and he was like, yeah, I served. And I would have been like, dude, that's so cool. Thank you for your service. And I never would have said I served because <laughs> I had this hatred like towards 
you know, the way that I, they made me feel like I was this dirtbag when that wasn't the situation. And, um, and so, you know, anyways, how, how I got involved with the nonprofit, I was on Instagram one day and I, a buddy of mine, um, had posted that he had taken some veterans down the devil's river in South Texas. And that's where I found kind of my healing power. Like that's where I went and really pushed the limits of what the doctors were telling me I couldn't, couldn't do. And, um, you know, that's, that's literally where my medicine like journey began. And so I reached out to, um, him and I was like, Hey, I, I kind of want to get involved. And, um, you know, he, so he passed the information along to the, the founder, the CEO and founder, Will Cannon. And I messaged him. I was like, Hey man, love what y'all are doing. I'd love to come make a film for you guys. And, uh, he's like, well, how much would it be? And I was like, I'll do it for free. And so, uh, he was like, dude, uh, I, you know, like he's Texas. So like Texas jaw, you know, like every other word he's like, sir, I appreciate that so much. You know, like it means the world to me and it, you know, it's Patriots like y'all. He, he uses that term a lot. Um, but anyways, he was a calf scout. So to this day, Ugh, man, ew. really got to drive hard on him and make fun of him for sure. And so I love you, Will, but you know, it's, you know, you know how it is. It's got to be done. And uh, if you ain't calf, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's actually really funny. He'll like try to like crack jokes on on me in return, and like the major like I feel like the majority of the people that we bring are all infantry on our trips, and they're all they look at him like, "Nah, dude, get out of here. I don't care if you brought me on this trip. You're trash." Um, and uh, and so yeah, he's like, "Dude, pick the date that works for you next spring. We'll we'll do it around your schedule. Seeing you're coming out here, and man, I probably I drove all the way out there." And I think I was like, mine is like 18 hour drive from Florida. And I think I was probably 45 minutes away. And I, I, I like stopped, pulled over and I was like, do I really want to do this? Like, do I want to go surround myself with veterans? And like, I don't know what they're, what they're going to think, you know, like, how are they going to be? And, and so I, I kept driving and I did it. And I really was like very observant, like for the first two days, just kind of sat back and watched and. I, I put together the first film. Um, I think it was just called The Devil's River Story. And um, it won some, like, tiny little awards at some, you know, little film shows and, and stuff like that. And um, after that, he invited me back for their next trip, their third float, which was on the Guadalupe River in Texas as well. And did that trip, did another film. And after that, he asked me to be on the board. And so kind of started out as the director of photography. So all things like film and photo. And then about a year later, uh, asked me to be the CMO. So kind of running all things, marketing, social films, have a team now of volunteer photographers and filmmakers. And I think we're like 20 films in, but, um, yeah, kind of, you know, a little bit more about what we do. Um, there's a lot of nonprofits in the outdoor space, like, a lot. Um, and kind of what our, our founder found was that, you know, he was getting involved with a lot of them. This is a guy who deployed, you know, twice on the military side, then deployed a few times as a contractor, um, you know, but goes through the ringer, loses buddies on like both of the, you know, kind of both of those realms of deployments, comes back and immediately gets diagnosed with cancer. Like going through chemo, he's like, my life sucks, gets involved with some nonprofits finds healing in the outdoors. But then like at the end of the day, he was like, something's missing. I, I like, I don't have the, the means and the tools to do this, you know? And so kind of where we separate ourselves from a lot of other organizations is not only do we bring them on these, you know, whether it's a backpacking fly fishing trip in California for native golden trout or in Colorado for Rio Grande cutthroat trout or a, a kayaking trip in the devil's river in Texas. Um, not only do we bring them on these, you know, trips, teach them how to fish, teach them how to kayak, teach them, you know, all the tools they need, but we give them all of the equipment to keep. So it's like, we're outfitters in a way. And it, this, I mean, like we all can agree on this veterans. Like you, I could go show you how to fly fish and then, and you could be hooked love it. And you may spend a little bit of time researching, like, what do I need to buy? But a lot of times you're too proud to ask for help. Like, what do I need? Tell me exactly yep. what I need. <laughs> and so you know, like we eliminate that equation. Like you don't need to ask, this is exactly what you need for this kind of environment. And it'll give you the bit, you know, a general understanding. And then from here, because we've given you the initial tools, we found that like some of these guys, you know, went off to another state. They're like, Hey, 
you know, we went and fished with these four weights. I think I need a larger fly rod, right? Like I need like an eight weight or something for salt. And we're like, yep. And so we point them in the right direction. And uh, we just found that it makes such a difference. You know, it costs us more. And being a completely volunteer-based nonprofit, you know, 99% of every dollar goes back to our veterans. Um, we, don't, we don't get to do as many trips, but the impact that we have, you know, is, is so much greater. And I've met the greatest people in my life through these trips, you know. And it's not to say we're perfect. There's definitely, you know, a lot more we can improve on. And um, the, the, non, I, the nonprofit, you know, affects me personally. Like, you know, and it, it's one of those, like, challenging things is last year we did a trip. I shared this on LinkedIn the other day, actually. Last year we did a trip about a month after the Afghanistan withdrawal, you know, the final, the final days of that. And almost everyone on that trip was an Afghanistan, you know, combat vet. And there was just this weird dynamic, like, People were a lot quieter than usual or people were like, we had one of them screaming in the middle of the night, you know, and, um, and, you know, being that resource, you know, during those weeks of that withdrawal, people were called like all these vets that have came through our program or guys that know about our program <clears throat> are calling us, you know, dude, why did I lose my, like, why did I lose my buddy? Why, why don't I have my legs anymore for this bullshit? Like, what the hell is this withdrawal? You know, wh what am I doing now? You need to help me. And the amount of people that reach out for help, like, we're telling them we can't, like, we don't have the means to help you. We're still a small organization. So we're, you know, sending them out to other nonprofits and, and just trying to help people out. And it was, it was a really tough time. And, and this shit's still going on, you know, like, Afghanistan it's not like it's just done with but how that all went down that withdrawal it was just such a shit show and it just it was a really painful time like after that for a lot of people and um and yeah and so we do our best to get as many as many people out as we can and um I think kind of the films that I get to share through the organization give that window or that door for veterans to to tell their story to to talk about the outdoors and the healing power and going into it like i never force anybody like to talk i'm like hey who wants to sit down and talk on camera you don't have to and then i i ask like a simple question hey what's your name what branch did you serve in what was your your mos and then the floor is yours some people will literally sit there and be like my name's john was in the army infantry and then they, they'll be like that's all i got and i'm like cool deal man no worries i have other people sit there for 40 minutes silent and then all of a sudden talk for 30 minutes you know and there's been a few instances where I'm sitting there filming it crying, like facing the other direction because I'm connecting so much to what this person's saying. And um, I think like what's super powerful and something I never expected to happen from our films, you know, is uh, we, I got a phone call one day after I had posted a film called, um, what did I call that film? It's Ben Parsons film. Um, it's bothering me. I need to know. Weightless. <laughs> When I shared uh, that film, somebody called me up that or messaged us that day and was like, I just watched your film and about him talking about finding his place in the outdoors and finding where he belongs. And he's like, I was going to take my life tomorrow. And he's like, it was planned. I was done. And he's like, I watched that film and heard what he said. And I went for a walk in a park. And he's like, there's so much to live for. And yeah, you know, like outdoors and like, like that was from the film, you know, like because I gave Ben a voice and his voice impacted another vet and like, yeah, you know, it's powerful. It's, I, it's powerful, powerful shit. I've watched a couple of your films actually. And some of those really like I watched ebb and flow. And then I also watched finding peace mm -hmm. and both of those just really, they, you're, you're doing a phenomenal job on your, your producing and your filmmaking and stuff. Cause those really hit different. And I shared them to a couple of people and they're like, holy shit, man, that's like, this is some powerful stuff. So I, it's, it's crazy to, to see the type of impact you have with these videos that are from all sorts of other people. It, it just, it blows my mind. You do a phenomenal job with this stuff. So, which kind of brings me to another, like my another question is like, how, how, did you get into filmmaking and producing and stuff like that? For sure. Yeah. Um, so like fresh out of high school, picked up a camera, got into photography. Uh, even while I was in the military, you know, in the army, I was still shooting photos and stuff like that. And kind of towards the end of my time, 
I was like, I need something that will like stimulate my brain more. I need, I need to do something that maybe can make me some money seeing doctors are telling me I'm never going to work again. <clears throat> and, uh, I just, you know, at the time I turned the camera to the video mode and <clears throat> didn't know Jack about codecs and color space and all the stuff that I now know that sounds like gibberish to most, um, and started making some videos and, I think like the first full edit I ever made was on the devil's river. And it was just like this no point. There was no storyline to it. It was just like really nice looking footage of somebody, you know, fly fishing with a top water um, diver and deer hair diver. And kind of after that, I just kept going with it. I started, started doing a lot more film. Um, and I think really where my career took off as an outdoor filmmaker is my buddy Marcos, who's, uh, from Venezuela. Um, who is one of my closest friends and everyone thinks he's a veteran. He's on every single IFF trip. Now he acts like a veteran. I think a lot of that is like from growing up in Venezuela. It's like, sometimes he'll joke when people are like, Hey, we're all in a group, you know, at an event, people are like, thank you for your service. So he does like, I don't know what to say, you know, like, and so he'll joke. He'll be like, yeah, I was in the Venezuelan army or something stupid, you know, but, um, we, uh, I taught him how to fly fish and I was trying to convince him like, we need to go do a native trout trip. Like there's something special about catching tiny little trout where they belong. And, um, and that's something I'm super passionate about. And I could talk about that for like four days, but I was like, we got so I got invited um, to a fly fishing um, expo in Arkansas to speak on DIY fly fishing, South Florida. And so that was like, I think it was like October 3rd was the date of that. And it's like, we're like, all right, we'll go out to Colorado and fly fish for Rio Grande, cut their trout there. <clears throat> like we'll leave the 26th or something, 27th fish for like three days. I think it was like the 17th of September. I was like, I told my wife, I was like, babe, I think I'm going to leave today. And so my wife, so supportive, absolute saint, lets me do a lot of things, uh, especially like outdoor trips. I told her I may go to Colorado tomorrow. Like, tomorrow, tomorrow, from right now, for two days. And she's like, that's such a long drive to fish for a day. And I was like, who cares? Um, but <laughs> anyways, outside the point there. Um, and so we, we go to Colorado. He catches his first native. Uh, I'm sorry, not his first native. We flew to California earlier in August, and he caught his first native trout, which is a California golden trout. Um, anyways, we get to Colorado, catch the Rio, and we're like, dude, let's try to catch the other natives in the state. So we went and did the green back and then we're kind of up Northern Colorado. And I was like, dude, let's just go to Utah. And so <laughs> drive to Utah, end up doing the Utah slam, all four native species of cutthroat trout there, the Bonneville, the bear river, the Yellowstone and the Colorado river cutthroat do all of those. And I was like, dude, we're pretty close to California. Let's go there. <laughs> and so we go to California, catch the California golden cut, uh, uh, golden trout, catch the La Jolla cutthroat trout, catch Kern River rainbows. Like we're catching. I mean, then we go, and then I'm like, dude, let's go to Arizona. You know, so we go to Arizona, catch the Apache. We went. So, anyways, went to a bunch of places. Like, pull back in the driveway, and it's like seven thousand nine hundred ninety-three miles later, eight thousand miles. We did this short film called Chasing Natives, and that was when I was like, this is like what I want to do. And so from there, I think that I contribute that film to giving me the, the opportunity to produce the fishing show for the Outdoor Channel. Um, I think that film is what got me invited to Alaska to do some exploratory work up there with the lodge. And uh, yeah, and so since then, I've just grown. I, I shoot as much as I can. Um, worked with a lot of brands in the outdoor space and uh, just something I'm, I'm super passionate about. And jumping back to your Finding Peace comment, um, that film is probably one of the only films I've ever edited where I barely could get past the first like 18 seconds, like while I'm editing it, like emotionally. And so if you have like a really good sound system, like with a sub or anything like it, I really put a lot of time and effort into sound design. Like a lot of the sounds you hear that you think are real and sound natural are not real. I've like recorded them like in, in real life, I recorded them, but I've added them in for the more depth. Cause like, the audio that you're getting is scratch audio. It's not as good. So like, I'm truly like amplifying that. And what a lot of people don't notice is in the very beginning of finding peace, Matt, who's an infantry veteran, um, he's the one that's, that's talking and it opens it up after the, the fire scene. He's walking through um, the woods and then crosses a Creek. And what a lot of people still don't realize 
is I do this really like heavy base hit right as he crosses that creek when he steps into the water. And if you pay close attention, he's a double amputee. And um, a lot of people didn't realize that. And there's this, this, this super powerful like base hit right as his, he takes that first like step into the creek. Cause I mean, that, that's a lot of work. Like a lot of these do, you know, I've, I've been fortunate to meet a lot of these guys that are amputees. And I mean, the amount of pain that like they face on their limbs, you know, like what is at least, you know, remaining, uh, you know, it's not like comfortable, like they're always raw, like bleeding raw. And so a lot of the trip, Matt was like, Hey, I'm going to sit back, you know, I, but he would also be out there hiking a shit ton. And it, yeah, being able to put that together. And like, as I'm like doing the sound design and that powerful bass hit, I'm like sitting there crying, like, uh, I can't get through this myself, you know, but no, I, I love doing what I do. And I, I was fortunate enough to do a hunting film last year for a, a nonprofit um, called Four Season Fighters out of Washington, and we did a hunt with a double amputee out there, and really interesting case, missing his right arm and right leg, and so he was right eye dominant, so we had to reteach him how to shoot uh, with his left eye, so we had to tape his eye off because he just couldn't do it, and he took a mule deer opening day, um, I believe like 350 yards, um, and Jeez. so he, he never, never hunted was so, and he, mind he's in a track chair. So this is like hard work. Like we're, we, we're not, we can't be that quiet. Cause he's like, <laughs> we're slowly moving him in this electronic, you know, track chair. And, um, I've never seen like so many people come together, like in one, like the look on everyone's face, I'm filming it. And like when he pulled that trigger and I watched that mule there, like do that buck backwards. And I was like, and he's like, I don't know if I got him good. I was like, dude, you I mean, it was a perfect heart shot. Like, he was down in, like, eight yards. And, um, like, being able to be there for that and see everyone, like, res- like, how amazing of an experience that was, was a really, really cool, really cool trip because I, you know, hadn't done much hunt filming in that space and, and being able to see it there. And since then, he went and got a custom prosthetic arm made to get into archery. And so... It, you know, it's like a perfect mold to hold the bow out. And then he is bite, you know, he's biting it with his teeth to, to draw the bow back, which there's a few guys out there doing that now. Um, so it, it's pretty wild. That is, that is absolutely fantastic. And the, the fact that you've been able to be there for a lot of those really, really big moments for people is, is something really, really special. And, um, you know, and, and you had mentioned earlier that you found therapy in the outdoors and helping other people has been very therapeutic to you as well. And, um, and I was just kind of curious how, how has the outdoors helped you cope with some of the mental and some of the physical health issues that have popped up from your service? Yeah, for sure. Um, <clears throat> I, I think like, I, I try to think back to what was that deciding factor that made me get back into the, like really get back into the outdoors when I was in like at my lowest, you know? And at the time we had three kids. My daughter was probably around two and a half, three years old and um, maybe, maybe a little bit older, but she uh, didn't understand what was going on. You know, every day would come up to me, Hey, can we go to the park? And I'd say no. And one day she didn't ask. And I was like, I'm a piece of shit. And that's, that's not the case, but I, that's how I felt, you know? And, and so me and my wife had this long conversation like, Hey, I need to go back into the outdoors. I need to get back into the mountains. I need to get back in the river. And we both agreed. Like if I was to go out and die on a river, die on a mountain, that was the right thing. Like that's how it should be. And I showed my kids that I wasn't going to live on this hospital bed. And, and so Slowly but surely, I started getting back out, and dude, it was miserable. Like I was having really bad, like hypoglycemic episodes and stuff like that, and um, like fainting out in the water. And you know, if your glucose hits zero, you die. And um, I, I hit thirty quite frequently, and I, you burn brain cells below fifty. I've had a seizure from it, and I mean that's just like physical shit, you know. Not, and mind you, like I'm dealing with all this, like a surgeon cuts my vagus nerve and just ruins my life per se. I've, I've got so much thought on that. I don't even have time to process. Like, what was my deployment? Like, you know, like, what was it like losing my roommate? Like my, that's slipping over my head. And so 
you know, then that shit comes up later and, you know, in thought you're like, oh yeah, my life's, you know, you know, this is, and this is what like so many people deal with. And, um, and so I realized like the more and more I was getting outdoors physically, I, I wasn't as nauseous. I didn't feel like my stomach wasn't killing me. And it got to the point where like my sugars weren't dropping as much. And I ended up going to doctors like, dude, what's going on? Why am I not dying when I'm outdoors? <laughs> and like they did all this blood work and kind of this endocrinologist was like, listen, it's kind of a medical miracle in a way. What your body's doing is your endorphins and your adrenaline from being so like happy about where you are is turning into your glucose. Like it's giving you what you need to move forward. Like scientific, like medically, it makes no sense. I'm able to even do what I do. Like every B12 is your natural energy, right? I have no B12 anymore. Like my body produces like single digit numbers when you're supposed to be in the high, almost near the thousands, you know, and I, I do injections. And if you were, if most people get a B12 injection, they're like, woo, like, you know, after drinking 30 Red Bulls or something, and I don't feel any different. And, um, yeah, I know this is, like, the longest answer ever, um, but the outdoors, like, I mean, it is my medicine. And I, I've i been talking recently about it where I've, I feel like I haven't gotten out as much as I'd like. Um, when I was in Florida doing freelance work, I was fly fishing every day, and so I always is out and then I had more time. I could do like multiple mountain trips a year and kind of since moving into the corporate world, into the full-time space, you know, my time isn't, I don't get as much time. And so, um, some of that has changed now. We own a 17 acre homestead. So we've got animals and getting out there is like the same thing. Like for anyone listening, just going outside and like taking a breath of fresh air is healing. Like you, you don't have to be in the mountains. I mean, that, that's where I would prefer to be, but you don't have to be in the mountains. You could go walk in downtown New York City through, you know, a park and where the one tree is a dog's piss on and find some healing if you truly wanted to. And um, there, there is so, so, so much power in the outdoors. It's, and I don't think anyone can actually explain that, you know, like, like truly break down like what it is, you know. And there's times I'll walk outside and I'll just take like, a deep breath and like smell like my sense of smell is like big for me and I'll smell like a certain thing that will just trigger like a billion memories. And I'm like, this is like, I'm at peace now. Like I'm, I'm where I need to be, you know? Uh, yeah, I totally feel that. I mean, every time I sleep outside, I, I get the best sleep, you know, just sitting on the ground and, and 100%. just closing your eyes and breathing is just, is it's, it's insane. I, I know exactly how you, well, not exactly how you feel. You know, you, you have a little different going on, little things different going on than I do. But I mean, I, the, just the healing properties of nature and air, fresh air and the grass and dirt and mountains, et cetera, it has a healing property to it. And we've kind of discussed this in some other episodes that we've had. Like it, it, it's, Everybody thinks that you need to get on medications and and all this kind of stuff, but we're 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 such firm believers that the best medicine is just getting outside and getting outdoors, and you're kind of living proof of that. One hundred percent. I got buddies who are like doped up on medication. I'm like, dude, get off of it! Like, throw that shit in the trash. It's not doing half of them. Like. The side effects of this one, so you got to take this pill to to do you know to react the side effect of that pill. I'm like, bro, head to the mountains for a week, come back and tell me, you know. And I, we've seen it through the nonprofit, the amount of people that have been able to like drop off all these bullshit, you know, mental health pills that are just doing more damage. You know, and I I agree with you 100 percent on that one. And you know, I'm 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 one of those people. Um, after I got out of the military with, you know, some of my injuries and everything, and I was absolutely lost. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know it, but I was putting a gun in my mouth pretty much every day for a solid year. Um, just, I, I'd worked so hard to enlist. I'd lost 135 pounds. I had wanted to do this my entire life. And then, you know, one injury took me out and, uh, you know, after getting hooked up with the VA and getting on therapy, they had me on four or five different medications that were just making me absolutely sick. I had missed about two weeks of work straight 
after I had started these medications just because I was, I was so sick. I was still having these nightmares and these terrible thoughts and everything. And, you know, I, I, I wasn't taking time to get outdoors, um, with, with my ankle injury that I had and everything, you know, I was 23 years old and I could barely walk properly just because my tendons were so badly messed up. And once I started really getting back out into the outdoors and getting out fishing, just, just something as simple as, as going to my old boss's pond before work, you know, spending 45 minutes catching a fish and everything, I, I, I'd started to drop off those meds and, um, you know, for a while there, I had even turned to marijuana to try to kind of get off the medication and everything. And, um, and, and now after, you know, having thankfully some good doctors through the VA that, you know, kind of, kind of the, the small percentage that you see there and everything, but getting me the care that I needed and everything and getting out into the outdoors more, I'm, I'm off of all of it. And a lot of people can't say that. And, you know, for those of you listening out there, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, the medication is, you know, going to ruin your life or anything like that, but it's, it's a tool and it's meant to be used short term. And the more you can cope with things and the more you can build your life away from them, the better you're going to feel. So I, you know, I, I agree with you a hundred percent on, on all of that. Yeah, no, it, it's tough, man. I, it's tough. It's tough to tell somebody who's been told, you know, for years, like this medicine's here to help you. And it's, and when you tell them, dude, just go fly fishing or go for a walk in the woods and that, you know, that will help. And they're like, no, it won't. Why would that help? You know? And I tell a lot of people, you know, it's not just combat veterans and stuff, but anybody in my life, like get the hell outside it's where we belong. Yeah. Absolutely. We, we've kind of talked about that too. Like humans were not meant to be sitting 20 feet away from their neighbors and next to all these stores and cars and loud noises and stuff. Humans were meant to be outdoors, connecting with the land, connecting with nature. So we're, we're all, we're there with you, but to kind of, kind of switch in a little, little different direction, um, Towards the end, we kind of like to talk about our favorite outdoor stories and then our no shit stories. So, what's kind of one of your favorite outdoor stories that you have? Man, I should have thought about this longer. That's a tough one. I, uh. Yeah, I'm sure you have a lot. <laughs> I, you know, <clears throat> there's a lot of special moments in my life fly fishing. Um, a lot of them I actually think are like opportunities where I put people on native trout for their first time and like witnessing somebody catch a native trout, catching a fish where it belongs. Like a lot of people don't realize like rainbow trout are only native to the West coast. Like everything East of the Rockies is not even from there. Most coastal States that's, that's it. And round trout are native to Germany. They're not native here. You know, they're, they've naturalized themselves per se, but um, like catching a native trout, something that's been most native trout occupy it two to 11% of their native range. And there's so many sub variants of them and seeing people catch those, like watching my buddy catch his first native trout, Marcos his his golden trout. And I filmed it. Like the look on his face was cause he was like, why would I want to do this? I'm catching tarpon, you know? And it, it was a super powerful moment. Um, seeing my wife catch like her first native trout was, was a really awesome, awesome moment. And her first was a um, bear river cutthroat in Utah. But Man, my brain is kind of going to, I, I still can't describe it, that feeling of letting that arrow fly on that first deer last year. And, like, almost like the confusion, like, he ran away. Is Did I, did I hit him? You know, and, and then, like, going down and, like, barely, there was, like, no blood trail. And then, like, the sense of panic and, like, oh, my gosh, it was such a far shot. 43 yards in deep wood, like timber. I, what did I do? And, and then like frustrated, just walking in a circle and then seeing this massive pool of blood next to a tree and realizing that the arrow like hit, um, his left front leg after it had gone through the heart. And so it didn't, it was still lodged in him. And so he didn't have a blood trail because the blood was just pooling in him. And then he hit the tree and then all the blood just dumped at that one time. And he had gone, you know, 50 yards at most and and it was a 
clean, really good shot. And like that sense of walking up on that animal, knowing that, you know, I did this in my first year ever hunting when everyone told me that the odds of me getting one archery could be years and that uh, I was able to do that. And, but more so like my family is going to eat this, like eat the food that is like, we're supposed to eat like this, this thing, you know, survived its time on earth, ate what the earth grew and provided. Like this is as pure of a connection that I can have. The only pure connection would have been if I would have shot it with a trad bow, you know, like, but knowing that that, that provided food for the table and there may still be some ground, you know, venison of his left in my freezer. That was just a, that was a really cool moment. I want like I, my bot, my brain tells me I want to like, I want my best moment to be fly fishing. Cause that is like, I, my just deepest love, but I can't even like explain how I felt. Like, I think I was crying, like, and I don't know why, you know, and, and I know a lot of people have connected and said, dude, I, I cried. I cry every animal I harvest, you know, cause it is such a amazing connection. And yeah, hunters get this bad, like you're out there just to kill it for trophy. And like that there's, I feel like for a lot, most hunters, you know, it's it's a much more powerful connection than people give it credit for. You know, yeah, like it, it truly is like, for sure. No, we we've we've definitely talked about that too. Just the connection, how much you're out there sucking and stuff, and that connection you build with the animals is, is such an emotional moment as well. Like it's. I mean, all you know, time in the outdoors is just absolutely spiritual. I mean, I remember one of my first times kind of realizing how healing it was, was when, uh, when our grandmother had passed away, uh, we ended up having to go out to Minnesota real fast on short notice. And, you know, it was late winter, early, early spring. And, you know, we're, we're having a real hard time dealing with it and everything. Cause she was one of our really big outdoor mentors and, you know, supported us a lot in it. And, I remember sitting up one night and looking out over the lake that my grandparents' house are on and uh, just seeing the northern lights for the first time. And, you know, not hunting, not fishing, nothing like that, but just seeing such an absolutely wonderful spectacle. It's it's spiritual. There's there's no other way of describing it. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So That's to kind of kick off powerful. our uh, no shit stories... I mine's not anything crazy or anything, but I'll definitely go first. I I was uh so I was out there, you know, last episode I was kinda talking some heat on mom for hooking grandma, you know, with with her rod, you know, she's flailing around and she hooked our grandmother while they were fishing, like straight through the finger. It was all the way through, they had to push it through, it was gnarly. Well, I was talking just talking some heat about her and I went out with uh Lambo just this past weekend we went fishing and I was fly fishing and, and you know, I'm not very good at it. I just picked it up. I absolutely love it. So I know what you're talking about. Fly fishing is amazing. And I'm out there and I cast and I'm, I'm pulling back out, you know, cause I'm trying to go a little further. And as I'm pulling back out, it catches on some weeds. Well, the hook catches, but how hard I, I pulled it back, it, it just caught for a second and then like slingshot itself right at my face. So I, I try and dodge it and, and my ear starts to hurt. And I was like, I did it after talking all this heat about my mom. I did it. Well, the hooks in my <laughs> oh. ear. And, and so I walk over to Lambo and I'm like, Hey, could you pull this out of my ear for me? <laughs> and so Lambo had to, had to pull the hook out of my ear. So, I mean, it was fine. Cause Ooh. I, you know, I have cauliflower ear. I do a lot of jiu-jitsu, judo, Muay Thai, hockey, that kind of stuff. So I have cauliflower ear. And so I was like, it'll drain my ear. But like, <laughs> I was just talking all this heat yeah. and it happened to me. So <laughs> I mean, you're fine. Army oh. allows ear piercings now off duty. So you're, you're totally good. Hold you're set to trend. Yeah, you're good. For sure. <laughs> Setting the example. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, hitting yourself with the fly is no fun. I took a double articulated, like, lead, uh, medium lead eye fly to my eye once. Ugh. Same thing, got stuck on weeds. This is my first my first full day out of the Army, by the way. I just moved back, moved to our new house in Florida. Fly fishing at night, so I took it off my sunglasses. Like, it's like dusk, you know, and the I'm, like, h- hooked on heavy cattail. 
And like, I look back and I'm trying to like get it off. I look back and it like comes loose. And I mean, pegs me right in the eye, open eye. But the fly was so heavy that luckily it wasn't the hook. It was just the dumbbell. But all of a sudden my eye starts to water and then all I'm seeing is red. And so immediately rushed to the hospital. I had like my, my eye was like a weird shape afterwards. And I was like, my life sucks, you know, like, um, and fortunately after wearing a like thing for about two weeks, my eye was fine and I haven't had any issues since then. But thinking about that, when when you reminded me, that's the worst, but that, that, that definitely is not one of my, oh shit, there I was stories. But yeah, thinking about it, like, oh, gross. (laughs) It just makes me get the, the, the jitters. Horrible. Sure. <laughs> oh, eye patches are no fun either. I had to wear one for about oh. two weeks too when I was a kid because uh, Johnny over there whipped me in the eye with a uh, little RC track cord. That I did. Oof. I remember it. But to be fair, he walked into it. I didn't go attack him with it. I was swinging it around and he just walked straight into it. So Man, it says every abusive husband too. ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, man, that's funny. Um, and oh shit, there I was, huh? All right, I, I've got, I've got two. I'll make them quick. So this one time we're out fishing in the Indian River Lagoon in my skiff. And so for those who don't know, a skiff is like uh, a smaller boat that you can get in a really skinny water. So you have a pulling platform, you, you know, you get up there with, um, on your pulling platform and you pull, you basically walk along the flats, you know, looking for redfish and stuff like that. So we're fishing for snook and redfish and um we're moving to the next spot and so we're we're just cruising down the channel uh and i had a smaller outboard on at the time and so we're not we're not moving fast like maybe 20 miles an hour at most cruising and this big boat kind of goes by us and so i veer hard to the right to get out of their wake and all of a sudden i feel my arm and it's a tiller so you know like it's not a, a console base it's not a steering wheel it's like in your hand tiller controlled and my hand is is like ripped back behind me, super heavy. My outboard is completely broke off the transom, and like I'm I'm holding this thing, and the two buddies in the thing are like, like we're wondering why we're spinning, and I and I was like, help me, grab the grab this, you know, grab the the, the outboard, and so like they're mind you, the polling platform is there, so it's like hard to get around. So they're like crawling through it in this tiny skiff, like. We and the the outboard is shut off at this point, you know, and they're like, we lift this whole thing up there, and we're like, what the hell happened? And like, the whole motor mount like snapped, like no idea what happened. Clean broke. I text my wife, I was like, you may need to meet, like, go pick up my truck, uh, with the trailer, drive to this other boat ramp and meet us. But we were able to like ghetto rig it to where we could get back. Um, that was just an absolute like shit show, but a true like scary scary ass event we're fly fishing in the florida keys same skiff and um early tarpon season so the tarpon migration has just begun we're fishing for we're you know we're targeting these massive tarpon on the fly so you know 100 plus pound fish and we're throwing 10 12 weights and uh conditions are just ideal like we go out in the morning there's rollers everywhere beautiful sunrise conditions are right the tides are right low winds we're in a this certain cut uh i can't say names or people like get really mad but uh we're in this specific cut and um the tide it's now oncoming really oncoming low and so we're like the t- it just shifted we need to go to another spot and so we're run we run back out and the winds have just completely shifted like we went from this calm offshore glass out conditions to like this strong 35 mile an hour hard east wind and it is just like gnarly out for a skiff and i mean you know, like two to four foot rollers are just coming in and like, that's big for a skiff. And so there's like bay boats sitting out there at the channel markers, like not wanting to leave, but we we're like, dude, we ain't wasting our time. Let's just take it easy. Cause we can, we can run in a lot shallower water than these boats can, you know? And like, we don't want to run up. We don't like as fly anglers, we're conservationists, you know, we don't want to ruin the grass. Like turtle grass takes like 20 years if you see prop scars in like the Florida Keys, that grass is done for 20 years. Like it takes that long for that, that grass to come back. And, and so <laughs> we're in about four or five feet of water, taking it super slow. Like when a wave would come, we'd like let off throttle, kind of just roll over the wave, then get back on it, roll over the next wave. And my buddy Marcos is in front and he's like, dude, that there's a boat coming up really fast behind us. 
and I look to I look behind us, and there's a um, a yellowfin, like a yeah, thirty seven foot yellowfin or something like that, and um, this massive center console, like four outboard, you know, boat, like a big boat compared to our fourteen foot skiff. And I'm like, does this dude not see us? One, he's in way too shallow water for his boat. Like he should be several hundred yards off of us. And um, he's coming up super fast. And we're both standing up like flailing our arms. Like dude, like doesn't see. I don't know if he didn't see us or just an ass clown. This dude ends up swamping us. Comes, He came about 10 feet off of our, off of our skiff. And I mean, he throws like an eight foot wake up on us on, on the already wakes that are there. And so we're, we're coming up like this. I mean, like we're almost vertical, like nose down underwater. And I almost, I thought the boat, the skiff was going to completely flip upside down on its nose. I was about to jump off and I'm like, Marcos, grab the, grab the Pelican cases. We got camera cases. Like, and he's like trying to find the life jackets and shit. Um, the the wave like doubles up and completely tanks us. So the the whole boat is full of water. You know when your Yeti cooler is floating, you ain't in a good situation. <laughs> and uh, the Yeti cooler's floating. He's he man. I'm like, give me a life jacket, and he puts a life jacket on himself. Doesn't care about me, and he just holding <laughs> onto the Pelican case like our camera gear. And I I thinking about it. Good man, good man. Protect the equipment, you know. And uh, I was like. The outboard is somehow still on, but it is bogging out because it's like flooded. Like, who knows? That's I mean, thousands and thousands of pounds like added of water. Like, the there is water coming over. You know, the boat. Like, we are like sinking, and we're we're in probably like five feet of water. And you know, most people are like, well, that's not a big deal. You can just jump out, but currents ripping out. The it's a hard hard wind now. Like, a dangerous situation. You know, and and I was like, we've got to burn up onto a flat, and so. Fortunately, we we're in a really rocky area, and um, we didn't. Fortunately, we didn't burn any flats or anything. But we we got ourselves as close as shallow as we could, and then jumped out and walked the boat in the rest of the way. And <laughs> we're sitting there on a rock, like, like what? What just happened? Did that really happen? Like, <laughs> like I'm like, I need a. Who was this asshole? Like, what was what was he doing? Like, just. And you see it down there. A lot of idiots running around the keys that shouldn't be running around the keys. I think that's any body of water. But, man, that moment was a scary moment. And, like, afterwards, we're, like, so we emptied the boat. We emptied all the water out. And the outboard started back up. We're, like, so do we go back in that shit show and then keep going? Because we had, like, another mile to, to where we needed to go. And I was, like, or do we just, like, push the boat, get on the platform, push the boat, through the six inches of water that's in front of us for a mile. And I was like, yeah, let's just take our time and do that way. And <laughs> dude, it was hard even pulling the boat. Cause we're like, shit, I'm like shaking. Like, ah, like did that really, did we just almost die? Almost lose the boat? Like, Oh, that, yeah, that was, that was fun. Jesus. That is nuts. Anything goes in Florida, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That's why Florida man, for sure. Oh, <laughs> uh. Man, well, you know, we, we really appreciate you, you know, coming on and, and, and talking with everybody. And, you know, you you, you want to give us a little little update on what you're working on right now or any shout outs, you know, let some let some people out there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out like any of my work or see what I'm up to, uh, my website's CameronCush.com. Uh, my Instagram is CameronCush as well. And then definitely want to shout out the Iron Freedom Foundation. So ironfreedom.org um, and then it's the Iron Freedom Foundation on Facebook and Instagram so you can see what we're doing, how to get involved um, and I think I, I give a shout out to y'all for having me on the podcast for sure, I really appreciate it, I feel like we definitely could keep going if we wanted to but um, there's time limits to these things so I, I do appreciate the time and y'all having me on here and yeah well, I definitely think that we'll have some more conversations together and hopefully we'll be able to eventually, you know, maybe hit the water or go. Maybe I'll join hit your neck of the woods. We'll go do a archery elk hunt or something. Oh yeah. Anytime you ever find yourself up here at NOCO, even if it's just for a couple of days, let us know. And, uh, we'll definitely be happy to get out with you and hopefully make some new stories. Teach me not to hook yeah. myself with the fly rod. <laughs> 
<laughs> Always learning when it comes to fly fishing. I can't promise anything. <laughs> Well, as always, to round this episode out, I've got a good quote picked out for us. Climb the mountains and get their good tidings. Nature's peace will flow into you as sunshine flows into trees. The winds will blow their own freshness into you, and the storms their energy, while cares will drop away from you like the leaves of autumn. John Muir. Now, I want to thank you all for bearing with us again for another episode. Thank you all so much for the support. Thank you, Cameron, for coming down and, and uh, you know, talking with us today and getting some of those stories out. Uh, you know, I think a lot of the listeners will really enjoy you know, a lot of the work that you do. And um, just want to say I'm really thankful for a lot of the work that you do, because if vets don't help vets, then, you know, we're not going to get a lot of help. So uh, thank you for, for all the work that you do and all the awareness that you bring. Um, we'll definitely make sure to get some of those links to your website and iron freedom foundation posted to our different social medias and everything get that shared out there a little bit um you know and definitely be looking for it make sure you check out our instagram and facebook at big ginger outdoors our twitter at outdoors ginger um definitely check out our Redbubble site uh we got some new merch coming up here pretty soon um that is big ginger o-u-t-d-r-s on Redbubble, and uh Once again, thank you all for the support. Thanks for coming down and listening today. See you all next time down that old logging road.